Good morning. I think we're here now. Um, before we get started in the Word, I just want to say a couple of things. I want to certainly wish all the moms a happy Mother's Day. Uh, my sisters and I haven't had our mom with us for over 30 years, and we still miss her and appreciate her and talk about her to this day and honor her today. And I also wanted to convey a message to you um, from Kevin and Jennifer. They are missing this morning because they are out of state on a trip. And Kevin said to let the church know that when Jennifer comes back, she's going to have a very wonderful testimony to share. So we're looking forward to that. As sort of a preamble this morning before I get into the actual word, I want to just remind us of something we all know in the scripture, but how the Lord brought it to my mind this week in such a beautiful way. On Tuesday morning, I went into my home office and just settled in to pray and read and just spend time with the Lord, not really seeking anything, just praying. And I said, Lord, we need to see some evidence. Now, don't judge me <laughs> too harshly, please. We need to see some evidence of your hand moving on behalf of our country. Because I think you've probably all prayed this too. And we need to see some evidence that you are fully in charge of all of this stuff, all of these current events and everything that's going on in the world, not just in the United States. And I said, Lord, I'm taking a petition before the Lord. Can you believe it? I said, even Elijah's servant saw evidence. It was little, but it was there, a small little cloud. And very clearly, I heard this response. That's what faith is. Elijah's servant wouldn't have seen the cloud <clears throat> had Elijah not had enough faith to send him up that mountain seven times. Think about it. It is faith. It was pretty humbling, too. And of course, I went to the number one scripture in all the Bible talking about what faith is, Hebrews 11.1, 1, and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I looked it up in the Message Bible, which I've kind of been referring to every once in a while lately. I'm really liking it, especially if I'm reading Paul's writings, which I've said before kind of go like this to me. <laughs> I have to keep going back and start over and back and start over. So the Message Bible is kind of a nice uh, story uh, format to tell, to tell the story. And this is what it said on that scripture, Hebrews 11.1. 1. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God this faith is the firm foundation under which everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. 
We have something to hold to if we have faith in God. Whether God chooses to show us evidence or he doesn't is his business, right? But we can still keep our faith in him because we know his character. We know that he loves us and that he has good plans for us because he's told us so in his word and his word does not change and he is not a man that he could lie. And I just love that. I wanted to share it with you. And the message that we're going to bring today might seem a little odd. I think I say that a lot. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Same things just seem like, well, I never heard anybody talk about this before, but Hopefully there's a point that you will get and you will feel the presence of the Lord and witness to it. But I think it's an important topic. I think it's an important question that I'm going to be presenting because one, I'm accountable to God every time I stand up here to rightly divide the word to the best of my ability, which is not very much ability, but he is the one that makes up the difference and sheds light on his own word. And secondly, because I've been hearing many well-educated, prominent names, if I named them, you would know who they were, teaching a doctrine about the church that I believe is in error. And I want to talk about it a bit this morning. That's not the main thrust, but it will come in at the end. And I'm sharing with this, this with you this morning because I think we need to know what we believe and why we believe it. And that we find answers to our questions in the word of God. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you would bless and anoint this word. I pray, Lord, that you would light the Holy Spirit would shed light in our hearts and our minds, God, to see how your presence and how your answers to our prayers, Lord, should look in our lives and how we have the faith to keep on holding on to that handle when we can't see what's ahead of us. In Jesus' name, thank you for that anointing today. So I began asking the Lord a question several months ago and the question was or is still what is the state of the church today i think we can all say we know things have changed in the church in the body within the greater body of the church of god i think we can all say that is the church age over are so many churches still have not even opened up. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to those people? And there's a secondary part of this question that I have been asking the Lord. And I hope to tie this all together in just a few minutes. And that is, what of the promises if any, that God made to Israel in the Old Testament can be appropriated to the church today. 
And I'm speaking about the true remnant of Christ, the blood-bought church, not peripherals, not, I say I'm a Christian because I go to a church, but people whose heart is tied together with Christ through the blood of Christ. I've had these questions because I've read so many parallels with what I see in scripture that Israel has experienced and that we could say we are experiencing today as well. So what are the answers to these two questions? And I think that the, the answers actually touch on the future of the church as we know it and the role that the church is gonna play in the end times even to the timing of the rapture of the church. And I'm not getting into all that today, but I'm saying that I feel like these two questions were, are pivotal to some of these other issues and would answer some of these issues. So while I was in prayer on Thursday, a travailing kind of prayer, the Lord led me to a scripture that really overwhelmed me. And if you would like to turn to Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be reading there. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Coloss from his prison cell in Rome. He starts the letter by saying, I, Paul, have been sent on a special assignment by Christ as part of God's master plan. It was within the will of God that he be sent on this mission with his backside sitting in a jail cell. Think about it. This wasn't happenstance that he just got plucked up and put in a prison cell. It was by design. It was God's master plan. So reading from the Message Bible, because this breaks it down very nicely, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12, then 13 through 14, and end with 15 through 18. So 9 through 12 in chapter 1. Be assured that from the first day that we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you will live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard, as you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you will have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is the strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. And now I'm reading 13 and 14. And God has rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. 
He set us up in the kingdom of the son whom he loves so much. The son who got us out of the pit that we were in and got rid of the sins we were doomed to continue repeating. Verses 15 through 18. We look at this son and we see God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and in invisible, and rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. And he holds it together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, are you listening? When it comes to the church, whoop, he organizes it and he holds it together like a head does a body. I just boohooed when I read this. Lord is the head of the church, which we've known forever, of course. But if you're worried about what the plight of the church is, where we're going, how we're going to end up, Christ is our head. We don't have to worry. He controls the church. Oh, I just thought that was so wonderful. He can organize it however he wants to. He will hold it together and he will be the head of this body. You know, I read that the head controls the body, not the other way around. The head doesn't separate itself from the body ever. Only the body can separate itself from the head. This same scripture in King James Version 18, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In Hebrews 12, 23, the writer, assumed by most to be Paul, writes to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn. Maybe we should put that on our sign, the church of the firstborn. And Romans 8, 29 says that Jesus who was the firstborn of many brethren, or the church, which is the called out ones of the one who is God's firstborn. So we are members in him. He is the firstborn of God, the head of the church. Jesus is the head and the controller of the church of many brethren and the only way that we can become a brother or a son in this wonderful family of God is through adoption. Romans 8, 14, 16 assures us that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
but we have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry abba father and the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god galatians 4 5 and 6 god sent forth his son made of a woman under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, we are no more a servant, but a son, and as a son and heir of God through Christ. I read all this to say that because our status of sons and brethren and members of his church, we have a legal binding relationship to God through adoption by Christ Jesus. So the church, sons and brethren and members, whatever you wanna to refer to us as, is organized and held together by the head of the church, the firstborn of God, Jesus Christ. I hope this makes sense to you and is exciting to you as it was to me because it truly was. It showed, it showed me that we do not have cause to worry or fear whether sons or daughters through faith in Christ and that as many members of his very body, we comprise the church of which he is fully in control. So back to my question, what happens to the church now? Well, we will be organized. However, he sees fit to do that. <laughs> we will be held together <laughs> because his word tells us that we will be, and it will be to accomplish his purpose, whether or not he shows us evidence because his word declares it to us and his word is his bond. And now very briefly, I wanna just address this teaching that I was telling you about. It's very prevalent and it's growing already. It's, it, it's not brand new, but it is spreading like wildfire through very educated, well-known people in large groups of of churches and this teaching in a nutshell says that God replaced Israel as his first love and that the focus of his will and his desire is the church this is called replacement theology or supersessionism meaning that Israel ceased to be God's chosen, and that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen. Let me say very clearly, I do not believe any portion of this. I know you do not believe any portion of this either, but I believe it's important to know what is being taught to the world, because when they find out the truth, they're going to need a place to come and find God and that he has not turned his back on Israel. 
First Kings 10 and 9. I'm just going to read two or three scriptures here. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Deuteronomy 10:15. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is to this day. And Romans 11:28. From the stand, this is Paul's writing, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, speaking of the Jews. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. And I could go on and on and on quoting scriptures like this in support of God's love and enduring love for Israel. So we know from God's own word that Israel was, is, and forever will be the apple of God's eye, and that he blesses those who bless Israel. And I, for one, do bless Israel. It's hard for me to understand how people who are so much smarter than me can teach something so blatantly against the word of God. I have a hard time understanding that. But I want to keep my heart straight and pure with the word. And that's why I wanted to bring it up to you this morning. So if you were like me and you were asking God for evidence, <laughs> it's kind of presumptuous when I look back on it now. And I really didn't mean it that way. But the Lord used it to teach my heart something. That the state of the church is clearly in the control of Christ, the head of, of, the, of the church and that his hand is moving on our behalf because his word tells us that it is. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So what about the question about the promises that God made to Israel and whether they can be appropriated to the church? And here's what I say about that. Yes. Because alongside of Israel as God's forever chosen people, lives the church by adoption through God's only begotten son, whom he set as head over the church. And God is the one who instituted it that way. So hallelujah, that we can claim promises through adoption, through Jesus Christ. I said this was nothing new, and I know you've known this Forever, but sometimes we need to be reminded when things in front of us look pretty dark and bleak and we can't see a way out. God our Father has the plan, has the way laid out, and He did from the beginning of time. Praise the Lord. I have a wonderful article on this. If anybody is interested in reading it, uh, I'll be happy to let you borrow it or, or just have it. I can always reprint it. Very, very in-depth on this. I tried to boil it down to just a few minutes and uh, give you an idea of what the teaching of replacement theology is about. But if you want to read it in depth, feel free to ask me for this and I'll let you borrow it. 
And I think I'm going to be turning the service back over to Don and Becky at this time. For some fun and festivities. But praise the Lord. He's got it in control. He's got us, the church, in control. Audrey?